And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Blueberry, and a bunch of others that folks are linking us to. And uh, we encourage you to go to the homepage. We also encourage you to go to the missions page where it talks about what we are all about. And if you like what we're doing and you'd like to support us financially we do have a patreon and paypal account and we will uh, take any uh, any donation that you would like to support us with we'll also take energetic support as well and we'll also be giving you the email the website address to our guests so that you can continue your evolutionary process and uh, and so forth so please uh, avail yourselves of all of that information and uh, and we look forward to uh, hearing from you as well if you have any ideas for us, suggestions, comments, we'd love that. We are worldwide, especially with the podcasts, and we're not kidding, worldwide, everywhere. Uh, and I don't even have to leave this room. I stay right here in the studio, and I can travel the globe. Today we're going to be traveling with a gentleman who is going to help us to understand uh, something that, quite honestly, it affects all of us. The thought occurred to me how frustrated I get when I go into uh, a, a business establishment and the individual that I am communicating with at this establishment who works there um, is either has, has a very heavy accent. And here in uh, the Santa Barbara area, that can certainly be the case because we have a lot of folks from all over the world. Uh, but it becomes extremely difficult to understand what they're saying, and I, I, I want to be respectful, but at the same time, it's like, okay, uh, how do I get through to this person that that's not what I said, that's not what I'm looking for, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Well, there are people in this country and around the world who have that problem uh, in terms of deciphering, especially deciphering the code that we, in the English-speaking world, call the alphabet, uh, page after page, book after book. It's next to impossible sometimes to figure out what that code is trying to tell us. And we're going to talk with a gentleman who's going to talk to us <clears throat> about feeling smarter and smarter. And I will tell you that the people we are discussing today uh, are uh, challenged by, and my wife is one of them, dyslexia. We're going to talk about discovering the inner ear origin and treatment for dyslexia LD, ADD, ADHD, and uh, phobias as well as anxiety with Dr. Harold Levinson. And, Doctor, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I was looking through the book, and I came across um, a, a couple of lines in there uh, that you use to represent to those of us who uh, are not challenged directly by dyslexia in particular, uh, but uh, who, uh, who, who have different, the people who, uh, who have this condition, if you will, or challenge, uh, you laid it out there on the page, and this is kind of the way that they see the code. And that's what I like to call it, because it is a code. Um, and, uh, we, we, you know, believe it or not, that first line that I read with the numbers as well as the jumbled letters, 
I was able to figure out what it said before I went to the next paragraph where you straightened it out for us. Um, now, I don't know whether that's because I, I see the patterns, I can see the representations, you know, uh, and so forth. But this is something is I should ask you from from your research uh, and we'll get into the specific uh, um, area that that seems to be causing this. Uh, is this something that uh, we've had with us ever since man's been on the planet? I believe I believe so. Uh, as a matter of fact, over twenty percent of the population is affected in some minimal way or major way with aspects of this problem. We call it by a specific name, dyslexia, but it's like dyslexia is a syndrome of many, many different symptoms. It affects 15 major areas of human functioning. And it's sort of like, by analogy, diabetes. People think of it as just a blood sugar problem where your blood sugar is high, but it could affect your heart, your skin, your scalp, your hair. It could affect every organ of the body. So that you have to understand dyslexia the same way, not as just a severe reading disorder, but a syndrome of many and varied symptoms even if the reading is normal or superior, you could still have the syndrome of which what we call dyslexia is part and parcel of. I don't know if that's making sense. It is. By analogy, I can render every one of your listening audience temporarily dyslexic. All I have to do is spin them around long enough till they're dizzy. They won't be able to read straight. Their concentration when they're reading is going to be off, so they'll have a reading problem. If they're trying to write straight, the writing will curve on blank paper while their signals are still spinning from the dizzy-induced technique that I've used. They won't be able to remember. Their concentration will be foggy. Their balance is going to be off. Their coordination is going to be off. Now, if you look at every one of the symptoms that I've described when I've spun somebody around till they're dizzy or their signals are dizzy. Mm -hmm. There could be 50 different symptoms that I've described, and all of those fall within what I call the dyslexia syndrome. Now, not everybody that I spin around may have obvious reading problems after the spinning, but many, many will. But the ones that don't have the reading spinning problems may have the walking spinning problems, their balance and coordination will be off, or their speech will be off. So people affected with this dyslexia syndrome or inner ear syndrome will have any one or combination of symptoms I describe in the book. They could be mild, they could be varied, and they could be in combination with severe, mild, and compensated, all in the same person that I've spun around. And every person that I spin will have a different combination and severity of symptoms. Similarly, every dyslexic out there will have different combinations and severities of symptoms, but they all, upon testing, will have an inner ear problem that I can diagnose and successfully treat. So that all of this is new. There was no proper understanding of this disorder. It was thought to be a severe reading impairment where you have reversals. And it was thought by mistake 
that it was only a reading problem, even though people who defined it that way also recognized that they had writing and spelling and math problems. So they were defining the face of a human being by only one of its features, namely the nose, and not even the nose, but by the length of the nose. So if you had a mild reading problem, it was called learning disabilities or something else. But if you had a severe nose problem, a big nose, big, then it was called dyslexia. That's like saying that you only have severe diabetics. The ones that are mild aren't diabetic, even though they have similar other features and characteristics and stem from the same cause. This is why I had to write another book. I've written uh, probably eight. But it's very hard to change 100-year-old concepts or misconcepts. Once people get it in their mind, they, they hold it, uh, and it solidifies like cement. And the aim of this book is to tell people that they don't have a hundred different disorders because if the diagnosis of dyslexia is conceptualized as a severe reading disorder, then when you have a writing problem, it's called dysgraphia. When you have a math problem, it's called dyscalculia. When you have balance and coordination problem, it's called dyspraxia. So you, one and the same person can believe they have 10, 15 different name disorders and they can go to 10, 15 different specialists, none of which holistically understand and comprehend the problem nor recognize there's a common origin and a common denominator that can be successfully treated medically. Mm. And the medical treatment can be 75 to 85% effective depending on many factors that I can discuss as we go. Well, I have to say that with my experience with my present wife, uh, who has dyslexia, when I first met her, she would not read in front of me. And over the course of time, uh, I gave her, I don't want to say permission, but um, it was unspoken, uh, to work through the words. I would not I would not either look over her shoulder, nor would I try to figure out, okay, well, what word is she trying to figure out, and I'll give it to her. I wouldn't do that. And over the course of time, now that we've been together for 22-plus years, uh, she has no problem reading in front of other people. Now, that's not to say that she still doesn't struggle sometimes, but she does phenomenally well. Now, what I find interesting in this uh, particular section here, uh, believe it or not, on page 29 of your book, uh, Feel Smarter and Smarter, I'm going to read something here to our listeners, uh, and I'm going to leave it there for a moment and talk about something else and then come back to it. I'm going to spell out something, or I'm going to read this. I'm going to read the code that that uh, uh, Dr. Levinson has on uh, page 29 of his book, and the code is M3554G3. Now, that's a word. M3554G3. And this is what I was talking about just a moment ago when I read this code, this sentence that you have here made up of this code, I didn't have any problem with it. I, 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 this was, and I did not cheat and go down to the next paragraph. And I was amazed that, wow, okay. So what does that say in particular, if I may ask, uh, what does that say about me and my ability to decipher the code? What it shows is that we all have compensatory capabilities. That we can, if the coding 
Well, let me go back a little bit, and then I can describe that. Sure. So, to sort of enhance my description of what I was saying before about dyslexia, and I'll come back to the decoding capability. It was thought by everybody and still by most other people that you have to have structures in the thinking brain that get clear signals, but they can't decipher them. That was what dyslexia was. There was a reading processor impaired within the thinking brain. People got clear signals, and they couldn't interpret the, the signals. That's it. Uh, it's like a computer. If you don't have the right processor, you can send signals in, clear signals, doesn't understand, and it won't give you a response to it. Well, that's what they thought dyslexia was. However, once I recognized there was an inner-ear problem, and once I recognized that the inner ear sends and coordinates and regulates all signals going to the balance and coordination centers of the brain, as well as the reading and the writing and the spelling and all areas of the thinking brain, the inner ear is a fine tuner to the brain. And so it sends impaired, it sends normal signals to processes and they can interpret it. Well, you can have well, if you have dyslexia and dyspraxia and dysgraphia, it was thought that you had different brain impairments. So that means that normal, bright, gifted individuals like your wife, for example, had to have three, four, five different brain impairments. Well, how could she be, have a normal IQ? How can you have an Einstein in medicine and eventually How could you get better if you have severe impairments to your thinking brain, structural impairments? that won't recognize normal signals. It can't be. It made no sense. However, once I came up with my concept and understanding that the thinking brain is normal, but it just can't decipher scrambled signals depending on how scrambled the signals are. And we all have the ability, according to the example you just gave people, we all have the ability to compensate for a certain degree of scrambling coming in to our brains. Well, and dyslexics can have this capability, too, unless it's stressed. So if the scrambled signals or the signal is, whether it's the visual or input or auditory input is so distorted, it will exceed the threshold to compensate for it and thus understand it. It is that making sense? It is. And it, so the example you gave in the book shows that we all have this capability. Mm-hmm. Okay. Except dyslexics. Right. When the severity of the scrambling exceeds their ability to compensate. Now, people didn't understand compensation in dyslexia. Even though dyslexics got better, they didn't really understand fully understand the medical understanding of compensation. So we have a dysfunction on the one hand, namely signal scrambling, and we have the ability of a normal brain to compensate for a certain degree of this scrambling, mm-hmm. except when it exceeds a certain threshold. Now, dyslexics may have a lower capability also to compensate than normal individuals. So we all can compensate for that example that you just uh, read out loud, mm-hmm. and you understood it. 
mm-hmm. and I wanted to show that we all understand it who don't have an impairment within the reading processor for that signal yeah. distortion. Yeah. But dyslexics can't. Right. That's the way they see it, and secondarily, they can't compensate for it, no matter how bright their thinking brains are. It, it exceeds their threshold, and thus they have symptoms. Is that making sense? Yes. Now, we have that same distorted signal for writing and spelling and math and, and whatever. Mm-hmm. I just use that as a visual representation so anybody reading the book could understand what a dyslexic is going through yeah. and how a normal person can interpret these signals. I'm curious, too, before I, I reveal the, uh, the, uh, uh, the code and what it actually says, is it, has it been studied that those folks with this inner ear issue that obviously causes the, the symptom, if I'm understanding correctly, of dyslexia, they actually are extremely intelligent that their IQs are like through the roof in, in some instances? Yeah, because an inner ear problem doesn't affect IQ. So the IQ of individuals with dyslexia are normally distributed the same way normal individual IQs are distributed. Hmm. Except when you test it or when you test them, the test shows lower IQs because the test doesn't accommodate the difficulty that dyslexics have processing certain functions, the anxiety they have when they're tested, just like the anxiety your wife exhibited initially for reading out loud. And I'm sure she had test phobias and test anxiety, oh, yes. which secondarily impair the problem. So the tests that Many people gave dyslexics for many years, including the IU test, showed lower capabilities than they really had. And we all know that Einstein and Edison and da Vinci and many, many capable people had this problem. Well, how could they have this problem, have a high IQ with brain damage all over? They couldn't. And they couldn't understand that they were following a nonsensical concept, so to speak, or nonsensical concepts. And it took years for me to try to straighten out these individuals who had the problem, and it took years and years, and I still get resistance from experts who are expert in the old theories, Mm -hmm. but not expert enough to properly understand what I've just described to your listeners. Yeah. All right, so folks, when I read to you M3, that's Mary, 3554G3, that code, when deciphered, spells out the word message, M-E-S-S-A-G-E. And uh, that's rather interesting that these numbers, and again, this is your representation, um, And when we come back from our break, I want to talk about what you keep referencing, this inner ear issue, and and talk about uh, the the who, what, when, where, how, why of that, and uh, and so forth. But I am certainly also very interested to discuss with you um, uh, how you even uh, wound up on this particular path. What was it that led you down this road, which we will talk about. When we come back from our break, I'm Richard Dugan. I'm here with Dr. Harold Levinson. Uh, we're talking about his book, which I find I find it very interesting that we are 
Uh, we are in an age, in a time, uh, in, in the 21st century. My gosh, we're in the 21st century, and we are still in a place where we don't fully understand uh, who we really are. Feeling smarter and smarter. Discovering the inner ear origins and treatment for dyslexia, LD, ADD, ADHD, and phobias and anxiety. And we are going to talk about that. As a matter of fact, before I break your uh, doctor, what I want to say it's to you talked about the anxiety, uh, testing anxiety. Matter of fact, she just went through a computer class where she's uh, where she uh, where she works because they're changing the computer system. And uh, she hated having to go to that class, not so much because of the class, but because she knew that there was a test. Now, it wasn't graded. It was pass fail. And uh, it really worried her to no end, even after the fact. And I just reminded her, I said, look, in this day and age, if you need help, you ask for it. If you need that test to be oral, you ask for it. So after the test was over, she said to me that at one point she became so anxious and so nervous, she almost walked out. But she took a few deep breaths and she said, I can do this. And she went through it. And a few days later, she was told she passed. Um, but that's again, that is what she goes through. And that's what a lot of folks go through uh, every day. And we're going to talk more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan along with Dr. Harold Levinson, and we will be right back. Tell me your stories, I'll do my best to understand you. And welcome back to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for staying with us. Us being uh, myself and uh, Dr. Harold Levinson of the book uh, Feeling Smarter and Smarter. Um, let's uh, start um, sort of uh, kind of going backwards here, but that's just fine. Let's talk a little bit about why this issue became a concern of yours. Okay, that's a, a very great way to give people the perspective that none of these insights came easy or quickly. They came over a 50-year period. So it shows just how rapidly science progresses uh, when you put in a lot of hard work. Uh, it took a lifetime in order for these ideas to crystallize and clarify enough to make them understandable, even to children who come to my office, because it's very, very, very hard for these children to otherwise understand and put up with their symptoms. Nobody tells them what's wrong very often because they don't know how and don't understand it. And children very often conclude that they're just dumb or brainless. And very often after treatment, you find this out, as adults will tell you, once they improve, they say, you know, I felt like an, a moron. I've always felt dumb. And children, when they function better, suddenly say, you know, I feel like I have a brain now, which meant they felt brainless before. So uh, to just close about your life, having anxiety in a relationship between dyslexia and anxiety and even mood and self-esteem, the smarter individuals are with this problem, the more frustrated they get, and the worse their self-esteem is. And that's why the book is called Feeling Smarter and Smarter, because as you understand this problem better and it's properly treated, instinctively, you just feel smarter and smarter. And 
That's one of the biggest symptoms that many people omit, including I when I first started describing the symptom to your audience. So let's go back in time. Uh, I was a psychiatrist, just finished my residency. I was pretty good and very, well, I'd say very good at what I did. I loved what I did, and I was young and vigorous. And I was employed by the New York City Board of Education at the same time I opened my practice. I needed an income, and I had a wife and uh, a child about to come, and very little income. Uh, if you didn't know, residents made maybe $1,000 a year or $2,000 a year uh, for a job where you were up uh, two nights a week, and every day you worked from uh, 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night. So my hourly wage when I was an intern, came out to about 15 cents an hour. It went up a little bit when I became a resident. So when I opened my practice, I really had nothing. And so I got a job with the Board of Education, and they put me in the special reading services. They had a clinic, which was unbelievable, where children from all the schools, neighboring schools in New York City, came for special tutoring. If they had a reading problem severe enough to be two, two or more years behind their placement and IQ. And there were no disruptive kids in at that time accepted for the program. And I was trained as a psychiatrist, and all the psychoanalysts that I was trained to understand wrote books saying it was they had reading problems because they had uh, neurotic voyeuristic tendencies, and, and on and on it went. But I was a math major, and sometimes when you're a math major, I guess, you have certain instincts when things click and don't click, even if you don't understand them right away. And somehow these concepts didn't click. The people who wrote the psychological books describing dyslexia, as I understood dyslexics better and better by talking to hundreds of children and testing them and spending time, I realized they probably never spent any time with these children because they were describing things in their books it didn't apply to children that I saw. And I saw hundreds of children uh, via the Board of Education. And I became very disillusioned with the psychological theories, uh, that it was neurotic and due to sexual and aggressive distortions of instincts and childhood traumas and whatnot. Not that some of these children didn't have these, but I recognized that I had children who had mild problems, relatively speaking, coming from the worst families and the worst neighborhoods. And I had children with severe, severe reading problems that came from the best schools and the best homes. So there wasn't a basic primary correlation there that fit. So I then jumped to the neurological theory at the time. And this goes back to the end of the 1960s. And the neurological theory said, based on proper reasoning, that if a child, a child had to have a structural defect in their reading processor in the thinking brain so that when they saw clear signals, they didn't understand it. And this theory was based on experiences with adults. You take a normal reading adult like me or you or anybody in your audience, and if they have a brain injury, either a stroke or an actual brain injury, the reading processor, they completely lose the ability to understand reading content. Even the word the 
or A or B means nothing to them. They completely lose it. And this was called alexia. And they don't get better. They don't reverse letters. Like They don't lose their place when they read. They don't have writing and spelling and math problems. They just don't comprehend visual signals coming into their brain. This is called alexia. So in 18, in the 1870s and whatnot, the 90s, when it was discovered that bright children failed to acquire normal reading functioning, it was normal and understandable and logical to believe that they must have a problem in the same area of the thinking brain. They had to have damage, and later it was called a delay to that area of the thinking brain, the reading processor. And this went on for almost for over 100 years, and believe it or not, it's still going on among certain experts and pseudo-experts and whatnot. And that's what I believe. So what I did is I examined many, many cases, but I decided to review the case material that I psychologically and psychiatrically and neurologically examined a thousand cases. I went back and took a thousand of my prior cases, and I reviewed them to see what my findings were. And I was looking for specific damage to the thinking brain where the reading processor was. And in a thousand cases, I found no damage there. And nobody else in the scientific neurological community ever found any damage there. But I felt that if I would spend extra time and re-examine and re-examine these children, that I would find what nobody else found, because it had to be there. It just made sense. Well, I didn't find it either. It was extremely frustrating. However, what I did find when I reread my notes, I found that they were late talkers and late crawlers very often. They had difficulty with fine and gross and rhythmic motor coordination. So that some of them, uh, although I had athletes, many of them, some of them couldn't uh, hit a ball or catch a ball or throw a ball. They had a poor eye coordination. They, many of them had poor uh, eye-hand coordination for writing. They had poor motor, fine motor coordination for using pencils and crayons and scissors and a knife and fork. Uh, many of them were clumsy and klutzy in the past. Many of them were accident proneness. Some complained of balance and coordination problems. Some had dizziness. And 75% of the cases had balance and coordination problems on neurological examination, similar to what most of your listeners will know as the drunken driving test, where you can't walk a straight line or you can't touch your finger to your nose in a proper order. And so... I said to myself, this is amazing. I wasn't even looking for these signs, these balance and coordination signs, and 75% of my patients had them. I was looking for brain damage, and none of my patients had it. And as I read the neurological literature, everybody also who was good and thorough found these balance and coordination findings indicating there was something wrong with the inner ear and the lower brain, the supercomputer for the inner ear, it's called the cerebellum. I call it the supercomputer or the fine tuner. It, it, it sort of enhances the function of the inner ear, and I'll go into it more. That's what everybody found, but that's not what they were looking for. And they couldn't understand 
how an NAE problem, which mainly affects balance and coordination, could create reading and writing and spelling and the cognitive problems. Made no sense to them, made no sense to me. So what did they do? They took the signs they found and called them soft or minimal. And they reasoned in circles to prove what they already believed. They believed there was something wrong with the thinking brain and they couldn't find anything there. They found what they didn't expect and then they had a problem. So what they said is, if there are any ear problems, there had to be something wrong with the brain. And if they had a reading problem, it had to be within the reading processor. So they were reasoning in circles without even knowing it. They couldn't prove what they were trying to do, nor could I. But I said to myself, because I guess I was somewhat mathematically trained, and I had no past history of being an expert in this field, I was a young kid, basically speaking, and I had no uh, so-called money in the game and reputation in the game to uphold. I was just looking to help these kids. And so I said to myself, if, there's only in a, if there are only inner ear signs, as well as signs related to that, it's supercomputer, the cerebellum, the brain of an animal, the lower man's lower brain, maybe that's what has to cause the problem. Because... Otherwise, we would find signs of a disturbance within the reading processor. So somehow the inner ear had to be involved. So to make a long, to cut a number of years short, so to speak, I eventually said to myself, well, let's, believe, let's theorize that the inner ear is like a fine-tuner to the brain. We know it fine-tunes all balance, coordination, and rhythmic function. That's why there's so many imbalance and coordination signs. Now, it doesn't mean they were complete clutches. Some of them were athletes in one area and clutchy in another, or they were good in one sport and poor in another, or they had great uh, eye coordination for hitting and catching, but poor for throwing. Uh, some rode poorly. Bruce Jenner, for example, had this problem. And uh, he, he was a marathon Olympic athlete, but he couldn't read straight. His eye coordination was off, but that wasn't tested in the Olympics. And he could have had stutter and stammer and articulation problems. He didn't, but he could have had it, and that still wouldn't have been tested in the Olympics. So he still would have won the Olympics, but he would have had evidence of some balance and coordination problem within himself. So I said to myself, obviously the inner ear fine-tunes the balance and coordination system. That would explain why we get kids who are telling me they keep losing their place when they read, unless they use a finger or a marker, or why some of them have speech problems, articulation, pronunciation. Uh, some of them stuttered and stammered. They had rhythmic problems and articulation or motor problems within the speech. System. And as I said, they had other fine, gross, and rhythmic uh, motor function. Some couldn't dance. Some couldn't play group sports. It was too complicated a coordination task. Uh, they could only do individual sports, and that took extra effort. And so, and they had the drunken driving signs. So I said, okay, we know that the inner ear fine tunes all balance and coordination functions. What if the inner ear and its lower brain fine tunes all thinking brain functions? So that would make it a fine-tuner of the whole brain. 
and we knew that the inner ear really handles or fine-tunes motion signals within the thinking brain and, and a couple of other signals. We knew that from before. So all I did is I said, what if it fine-tunes all signals in the brain? Then, with this concept, I could explain why everybody had the symptoms they had and normal or superior IQs, because the inner ear doesn't affect IQ. Why they couldn't have structural damage within the thinking brain, because their IQs are normal and above and some are geniuses. Hmm. And how a simple inner ear problem, which we had evidence for, without looking for it, we discovered it blindly, without even looking for it, why these signs and symptoms were always there. And then I tested out the eye coordination of these individuals. I, I uh, developed an instrument, and I found that the eye movements were deficient in, in normal children, in, in dyslexic children. And that's why they keep losing their place, and they need a finger or marker. Uh, Nobody understood why they were losing their place. They thought it was an ocular problem rather than an inner ear determined eye coordination problem. And then I went on to diagnose and treat some over 35,000 cases. And I came to a, a tremendous understanding of what each of the symptoms were in the dyslexia syndrome that each child had. And I wrote chapters to record them because it might be too much to explain to an audience. But let me just tell you, for example, some of the mechanisms I found that were impaired in perfectly normal but reading-impaired children. And then I found them in adults as well. They had memory problems initially, many of them, for recalling the letters B and D and whatever. They would remember them and forget them. And they had difficulty recalling and remembering phonics and attaching the right phonic symbol to the right visual symbol to sound out a word. But they would get over this memory problem. Then they had tracking problems, eye tracking, because of the inner ear. So as they were reading, they would, without realizing, skip words and skip sentences. And then their eyes would jump up and they would pick a word from another sentence and insert it in the sentence they were now at. And then they would guess because it was, an, it was a scramble. And so that was messing up their understanding of what they were reading as well as memory. Then they had directional and orientation problems. So the letters B and D were turning around and was for sure. The letters were actually turning around. They felt the words were blurred. They doubled up on them, and they actually felt the words dancing on the page and moving. And if that wasn't enough, some of them were light-sensitive, so they had to read in the dark. Some of them could only read when they were walking or still, but not both. Um, so some of them had to walk to read effectively. Some of them had to lie on their stomachs on the ground. Somehow that position enabled them to read better. Some of them could only read when their head was tilted. Why? Later on I found out that the inner ear is sort of like the gyroscope. 
in the brain. It keeps us aligned vertically and horizontally. But what happens is these children see the words very often or see things in space angled. So many of them will tilt their heads, and they have head tilting, which was a common characteristic among... It wasn't that common, but it was recognizable to be present. It's an inner ear sign, and some of it was compensation. In order to line their eyes up with the tilted environment, they had to compensate and tilt their heads, just like some of them had to use a finger or marker when they were reading because their eyes would lose the fixation point. It would jump around. But if they went from letter to letter and word to word with their finger, they, the eyes had a point to come back to, and so they were able to straighten it out. And then there were exceptions to this. I'll just mention it because your audience might find it fascinating. Mm-hmm. Some individuals, when they used their finger, it was worse. And I said, how could this be? They needed to use their finger. They needed a fixation point. They had eye-tracking problems. Well, I found out. And how did I find out? By asking a lot of questions. Many neurologists aren't trained to ask questions. They're trained to do procedures. And so they don't keep asking why. Psychiatrists were trained to ask questions because we never had instruments to diagnose individuals with. So we, we use questions and answers very often. And so using both questions and answers, as well as neurological testing, when the children who did the opposite of what I expected them to do, to read better, I I said, well, why is it worse when you're using your finger? He said, because my eyes fixate on the finger instead of the words. So by asking them questions and seeking answers and testing them neurologically, I began to get a better understanding of how opposites occur. And then there were individuals, for example, whose eyes would stick to the letter or word, and they would have to blink to get it off. So as they were reading, the eyes would get stuck. Some of them didn't see the whole word. They had tunnel vision. So if they had a word like word, W-O-R-D, they only saw the W or the W-O. Then they would have to turn their head and see the R and the D. And then they would have to string the W-O and the R and the D in their head and say, oh, yeah, that's word. So, and, and there were other mechanisms impaired, which I don't want to go into. So it wasn't just a reading comprehension problem the way you're always taught and you read in books and people say, yeah, I have a reading comprehension problem. They don't have a primary reading comprehension problem. The reading comprehension is fine after a while if they read a short little sentence. Mm-hmm. But as the sentence goes on, it gets more complicated and all these crazy mechanisms scramble the whole input, then the comprehension becomes lost as it would for you. If this was happening to somebody who could read perfectly, and suddenly I spun them around and these mechanisms were going crazy, they would have a reading comprehension problem as well while the signals and mechanisms were distorted because of the rotations I induced. Now, you've shared an awful lot here in the last few minutes, and I appreciate that. Uh, we need to have a better understanding, which is what this program is all about. Not just uh, 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 looking for new ways of living, but also looking for those ways in which we can better understand our fellow man. Uh, 
i.e. walking in their shoes, so to speak, so as not to have... Uh, and by the way, when I did uh, a research on these particular words, I found they had absolutely nothing to do uh, with color of skin or nationality, okay? Uh, but when we don't work towards understanding one another, we exhibit signs of bigotry and prejudice. And again, that has nothing to do with race or uh, gender or any of that. It has to do with a preconceived notion about someone based upon whatever the condition is. And it could be race or gender or what have you. But in this case, we're talking about dyslexia. Uh, one of the, I can, let, let me intercede. Sure. The whole scientific industry was biased, uh, holding incorrect theories and holding them despite what was obvious in front of them. So... It was bias mechanisms that held progress back among scientists. Yeah. And I will venture that if we haven't seen them yet, we will someday soon see them. And that is movies that will come out, television programs that will come out, focusing on some of the notable people in our maybe last uh, 50 or 100 year history who accomplished amazing things. And they were dyslexic. They had this inner ear issue. It's the same, and I, I you know, I, I, I put it this way only because it's the best comparison I can come to. It's the same as what's happening now in movies and television, where we are hearing about, for the first time for some of us, myself included, the incredible contributions that women of all ages, sizes, colors, races, creeds, etc., have made to our civilization. It's the only reason why we have progressed where we have, because certain women have decided, no, I'm going to go down this path here and I'm going to make this happen. And I would venture that the same thing is probably true. I mean, how do we know that maybe George Washington wasn't dyslexic, you know, or uh, I mean, you mentioned a few others like Einstein and, and Da Vinci and so forth who had their own issues. Um, and yet, Look at everybody looks up to these guys. I mean, what was it? Einstein, he failed math. But what what a what a mind. And he had speech problems. If you Google the number of famous dyslexics, you would be that are currently alive, including Gates and others. You would be astonished. Yeah, completely astonished. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say that I am extremely blessed to uh, to be in a relationship with uh, my present wife uh, in the sense that she has shown me a lot. Um, one of the things that she has shown me, and I want to talk a little bit about this, um, is uh, her empathic slash intuitive uh, aspect uh, to her life uh, that, that she imparts to me uh, wisdom, if you will, from time to time. Uh, it, 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 phrased in this context, but not always like this, but in this context... You know, Richard, it probably would be better if you did it this way so that you didn't hurt yourself. Now, does she really know what it is that I'm doing? Maybe. Maybe she does. Maybe she doesn't. But she gets this impression that it might be wiser for me to do it another way than the way I was doing it. Because, yes, I could bring harm to myself, hurt myself, which she doesn't want to have happen. What is what about that? As is have has that been studied at all? That uh, yeah, no, intuitive no, no. aspect no, no. to folks uh, a, a little bit. What I find is that when people are frustrated and they're gifted, and they have proper proper encouragement, proper schooling, proper parents, 
they're driven to succeed even more because they have to over, nothing comes easy or nothing came easy, but they had the drive to succeed from within. They were instilled to be successful. They had good self-images or their self-image was held up until it became their their own. And they're, they're driven more to succeed than somebody that's handed everything comes easy. So sometimes kids that are gifted in everything never amount to anything because everything came too easy to them academically and they were spread out over 10 different subjects. Whereas many dyslexics succeed by dint of their determination and there are many other compensatory mechanisms that that come about. For example, I have dyslexics who can read well, but like your wife, they have an intuition. They could look at, at a paragraph and grasp what it what it says. So they score high, even though the mechanisms are, are bad. Now, I'll tell you, the bias within us keeps us going in one direction. It prevents us from being flexible and transitioning. So it takes another person sometimes to look at us to tell us, you know, why are you doing this thing over and over again? Einstein would say, you know, you're nuts. You expect a different result, and you do the same <laughs> stupid thing over and over again. But I find that many women, because of their maternal instincts, can be have greater empathy for others. Mm. Greater, uh, They're born with it as they're born with the maternal instincts. Yeah. And so they empathically can feel and sense and have a greater give to other people than men do because we're genetically different. Right. It doesn't mean there aren't exceptions to every rule. Mm-hmm. And then if you're dyslexic and you've suffered enough with frustrations and you've, you've been forced to maneuver and angle around and transition from one to another, you can become more flexible in, tra- in helping other people transition where they've not had a struggle, and so they keep doing the same thing over and over again because, uh, you know, it didn't seem to present any obvious problems. Right. Let me ask you, um, before we go too far, I know our listeners are probably wondering, okay, he mentioned this inner ear thing. So uh, is this uh, discovery, that's what I want to call it at this point, uh, as far as the the issue of the inner ear, uh, something that is... um, treatable, curable, or is there anything that needs to be done because uh, there are other ways for us to help the uh, the person suffering with this inner ear issue to adjust and adapt so that they can fully function in society? Yes. Fortunately, yes. Okay. Which and, to which which answer? I I shouldn't have done that. I should not have well, done that. You, you gave me four, but yeses to all of them. Oh, okay. And, and thank God there were yeses to all of them, because I realized the inner ear was a problem and it affected balance and coordination. And I had discovered that the eye coordination is impaired. I said, let me try with these patients, giving them very very small doses of inner ear improving antihistamines, like the motion sickness medications and whatnot. And sure enough, a certain number of children said, you know, I can suddenly see the words clearer. They're not mixing up. They're not rotating. I can remember what I'm looking at better. I can actually hear the sounds of 
what the words mean, and my concentration is better. And on and on it went, and suddenly my sports are better, I'm playing hockey better, or I'm not missing the ball in tennis so much. And they kept giving me responses, and then I developed over again a period of many, many years better and better methods for using these medications to improve about 75, sometimes even up to 85% of patients who've had this problem for years, even adults. So I found that there are now medical ways of improving it. And what I'm doing is I'm using the medications to straighten out the signal scrambling. If the signal scrambling is minimized, then the thinking brain and the rest of the brain can function much more normally. Now, individuals also have compensatory methods on their own and mechanisms. Some of them grow with age and mature late with age. And so you have reading and writing exercises and all sorts of accommodations that are now available that weren't available when I went to school. If I had this problem, I would have been put in a dummy class. It wasn't Nobody knew about dyslexia, and even if they knew, it didn't mean anything to them. And unfortunately, it still doesn't mean enough to many individuals, although they've heard the term, and some even deny it exists, and there's still debates about it. But I'm telling you, in my research, 75 to 85% of patients can improve, and academics and other techniques like sensory motor exercises, in fact, uh, you'd be interested to know that there are athletes, for example, who are dyslexic, and they do poorly in school, and so they're punished. And so th- their sport is taken away, and then they do worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and what happens is I learned, and the parents learned, that exercise actually helps them concentrate better and function better. So they were punishing them for the wrong thing, and and, and so it was making it worse that the exercise actually helped them compensate, even though in the sports season they had less time to study, but the studying was infinitely more effective. So we've learned that there are many, many other exercises. Also, sometimes making the print bigger and sometimes uh, certain tints because of the light sensitivities and whatnot can make the reading easier. But it it only does so much unless you treat the patient, because all other techniques depend on signals. And if the signals are scrambled, then the techniques have a resistance barrier to overcome. But if the signals are made clearer, then all helpful techniques work much more effectively when combined. So the outlook is good. We need, there hasn't been one new medication for this in the ear disorder uh, in a hundred years. So, uh, could you imagine if we only had one antibiotic, what would there be? Or two or three instead of 100 yeah. or 200? So this could actually, if, if we developed more techniques, more medications, we could get 100% improvement in all dyslexics. Now, I don't know that we have time, but we should go into how phobias were discovered because that's an amazing thing. You mentioned initially that your wife had, uh, test phobias yeah. or performance phobias mm-hmm. because they don't want to fail. They're embarrassed like anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them have speech problems. They forget the word they're going to go on. They have uh, speech fright, uh, stage fright, because uh, they're afraid they're going to forget the words and the thoughts, and the anxiety makes it worse. And then 
but and then you give them a little medications or encouragement, and they go on, and the excitement of the performance carries them, and they perform beautifully. But I discovered, as an analyst, psychoanalyst, I was treating people who were afraid of heights and elevators and escalators and trains and planes, and I wasn't getting anywhere. And suddenly, by treating dyslexics for their reading problems and writing, they suddenly tell me, you know, I'm no longer afraid of heights or elevators or escalators or trains, buses. And I discovered, well, you know, the reason many people are afraid of heights is that balance is off. So instinctively, they're going to be afraid of falling from heights. And many of the phobias, emotion-related phobias, moving elevators, escalators, trains, planes, buses, on and on it goes. And motion processing is a problem a function of the inner ear, and if the inner ear is off, some of their motion processing is going to be off, and so they they will develop anxiety symptoms when in those areas, and they haven't the foggiest idea why. They make up excuses, they overthink the problem, and so they make it psychologically worse, even though thoughts is a physiological problem. Let me me stop you there and just ask this question, Uh, especially if someone who has had dyslexia, say from childhood, which is pretty typical, they're now saying their 40s, 50s, 60s, they've learned how to adapt and to adjust. Maybe they've taken advantage of, uh, uh, you know, special uh, instruction in school and so on and so on and so on. And now you present them with the opportunity to completely change their lives by i.e. eliminating this inner ear issue so they no longer have dyslexia um isn't that sort of telling them that maybe uh there's something wrong with them that needs to be fixed because look how far they've come look what they've accomplished i mean would you go to bill gates now and say hey we can fix your problem so you can function normally uh, and, and I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate here. Uh, just because we can, does that mean we should? Well, if you have my experience, yes. But I wouldn't personally go to Bill Gates because I found it was a waste of time. He wouldn't take my call. And, <laughs> but he, if he were listening to your program and in the car or whatever, and he understood like your wife would understand when you are describing her symptoms, and that's how patients come to me of all types, they recognize that what I've written, they experience to a, to a needle. It fits perfectly, and no other explanation made any sense to them. Then they'll come. Mm. But they're not going to come if I send an advertisement to them. But this is the advantage that you serve your audience. You provide them with invaluable information. Whether they take it up or not is their responsibility, right. but you're providing them with a tool, very often a life-saving tool, that can change their whole life. It doesn't change their personality for the worse. Many people are afraid the medications will change their personalities, and, and phobics are afraid that the medications will make them lose control. Just the opposite happens, that the better you function with because of the medication, the better you feel, the more confident you feel, the more you undertake, and the greater your odds for succeeding are. So and, uh, is, is this inner ear issue a biochemical imbalance, and this is why you need the medication? Yes. That's my uh, impression. Okay. I've tested over 35,000 cases, and there are impairments, 
But so far, MRIs have not found structural defects. So I have to assume that if chemicals can change it and there's no structural defect on these MRIs and fMRIs, then it's probably more of a chemical nature. And also, if I spin you around, I can chemical, I can, I can environmentally, or I can induce this problem without damaging your brain. Mm-hmm. And if I treat you for it, I can prevent the symptoms from happening, or I can let them re- 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 uh, die away on their own. Right. So I've not changed the way your brain structure is. I've just changed the way the chemicals uh, are needed to keep the signals straight going to different parts of the brain. Right. Is there a homeopathic or naturopathic or what have you alternative non-pharmaceutical method uh, for uh, uh, assisting a person through this biochemical adjustment, shall we say? Yes, I do use some uh, natural substances and some nutrients, but in my experience, they only provide minimal improvements, but I find that a minimal improvement to a major problem is still a major improvement. Exactly. And, yeah. But when you combine, and, which, and that I do, I combine medications with nutrients, I try to maximize their improvement. I don't want to be biased for one or the other. I'm very, I, I've become more and more practical as I've gotten older and less <laughs> prejudicial for one treatment over another. Right. What works the best I use what works in combinations I use, and I don't care what anybody says. Well, I applaud you for uh, what you are sharing with our listeners because, again, it is something that we are going to place on our giant smorgasbord table. And people can come up to the table by listening to the podcast and uh, get more information. What website would you have them go to to get more information about not only feeling fast, uh, smarter and smarter, feel smarter and smarter, but also about you, Dr. Levinson, as well as uh, this issue and maybe even contacting you about getting some uh, assistance uh, for this. Uh, again, I'm going to go with inner ear issue. It, my website is called dyslexiaonline.com. Okay. D-Y-S-L-E-X-I-A. Dyslexiaonline.com. And it has a wealth of information, including how to get the book, but that's only one small part. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can get an amazing amount of information because I had that website before I wrote this book. Ah. And, and so uh, my aim was to communicate as much information over the Internet as easily as possible for people benefit from. Well, I, again, thank you so much for sharing the time. Dr. Harold Levinson's been my guest here on the program. His book, Feel Smarter and Smarter. Uh, and I do have to say that um, I, I have, uh, I, I find it interesting that people with dyslexia in this day and age, the 21st century, and here we are in the 2020s, and by the way, this is, uh, we are celebrating, we are promoting, we are encouraging people to get involved with a campaign I've been promoting since September of 2019, Dr. Levinson, and that is that this is 2020, the year of perfect vision, and not specifically or exclusively outer vision, but inner vision, going within. And we ask people to go within, to check with their higher self, their intuition, to see if if they have dyslexia or one of these other issues that we've talked about on the program, 
please go to your website and find out more. We'll be linked to your website as well. And again, that's dyslexiaonline.com. Yes. Okay. And I have a favor for you. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Please let me know what your wife thinks of the book. I absolutely will. I will pass that on to her and uh, have her look at that because uh, I have to say that uh, I find, as I was going to mention, that more and more people that I come across who have dyslexia, they are less and less ashamed of saying so. Uh, My wife actually went to the instructor at this last computer class that she took and said, point blank, I'm dyslexic and I have trouble taking tests, da 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 and the, the the instructor could not have been more helpful, which was great. Unlike the instructors, the teachers that she had in grade school and high school, uh, we've come a long way. Thank yeah, God. Thank thank goodness. Uh, before we let you go, I have three final questions for you. And uh, the the first of these three questions, uh, you may have addressed uh, these answers within the interview, but I like to ask them pointedly. The first is, who is Harold Levinson. Oh, you mean me? <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Uh, I was a math major before I became a doctor, and I'm a psychiatrist and neurologist, and I practice uh, uh, psychiatry, and primarily I diagnose and successfully hope to treat uh, thousands more uh, of the people with dyslexia, and unfortunately has a hundred different names, mm. as you read in the book, mm-hmm. learning disabilities. Uh, it, it, people, well, instead of understanding the problem, people renamed it, yeah. and that was their mark and contribution. I don't care what the name is, I'm describing a syndrome that could be understood by reading my book and content. You can call it whatever name you want, this can be diagnosed, and it can be effectively treated. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I would love to have the pharmaceutical industry and the medical industry, so to speak, come together and unify and, and, and test out a lot of these hypotheses and expand them so there could be much more effective medical and non-medical treatments for this impairment. This is a treat, an immensely treatable disorder. It can ruin the lives of many, many individuals and has, and it's unnecessary at this point in time. There's a cure in the near future. All we have to do is strip ourselves of our past biases and reluctance to change and look, read this content with an open mind and most people desire the best outcome for others, but you have to put yourself out a little bit. You have to grasp the understanding that you need to help others best. And that was actually the reason I wrote this book, because what it imparts is 50 years of my clinical experience. Uh, nobody has that kind of experience with over 35,000 cases. And uh, I don't want to leave you alerts and think that everybody's born with this problem, you can acquire this problem at any age if you never had it. Wow. Spinning around can induce it temporarily. The astronauts can get dyslexia in space where they see things upside down and backwards, which probably creates some of the, the accidents with smaller planes when they can't see. They crash because the orientation mechanisms of the pilot 
get disturbed. They can't see where they're going. And ear infections, sinus infections, mononucleosis, Lyme's disease, and certain trauma of the inner ear can induce this problem or intensify it in any human being who never had it before. Mm. Final question. What is your life's purpose? I think I just described it. I didn't know it until I stumbled on it. Many of us think we want to do this and we want to do this. I always thought I wanted to be a mathematician until I decided to go to medical school. And then I realized I wouldn't have been happy as a mathematician because I like people. I like talking to people, I like helping people. And equations come easy and they're enjoyable to me and they're fun. So what I did is I did both. I used my mathematical instincts to enhance my psychiatric and neurological instincts, so to speak, and knowledge. And and my psych, and my psychoanalytic background enabled me to talk to people. I love talking to people. I love finding out what they have to, to say. And to this very day, after 50 years of diagnosing and treating, I learn from patients something new every single day. One human being, no matter how complicated, no matter, no matter how bright he is, no matter how complicated his cases he may have helped before, he keeps learning and learning if his eyes are open, and he keeps check on his bias. Mm. There's a certain instinct that we all have. It's called staying within a species, staying within an idea, staying within a cult. And the more, and seeing patients forces me to keep my mind open in order to help them. Mm. And it minimizes this tendency we all have of closing in and being satisfied with the little that we've accomplished. Dr. Harold Levinson, again, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Feel Smarter and Smarter is the title of the book. DyslexiaOnline.com is the website. We will be linked to his website. And again, we thank you so much for joining us. And we thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until next time, love to lull.